Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant. For those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007 and am the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage of recovery from sexual abuse. I work with survivors who are sick and tired of feeling broken and unfixable, and I help them let go of the pain of abuse and move on with their lives. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at www.rachelgrantcoaching.com. In this two-part series, I share my own personal journey from survivor to beyond surviving, and also address the reasons why it's important to tell our story and not hide in the shadows of shame. I also share some specific techniques for how we tell our story in a safe way. I'd love to start out by going back in time towards the beginning of your work, and I'm wondering, so many survivors don't <coughs> end up doing something with their experiences the way that you have, and I'm wondering what in your journey inspired you to develop this programming and become a life coach. Could you kind of take us back in time and tell us what began this journey for you? Sure. I think my journey really began really in my 20s when I finally came clean with myself and said, all right, you know, my life is going a certain direction and I'm experiencing life in a very specific way and that is tied to the abuse. I had to stop running from the past and become, you know, connected to that experience and own up to it. 
So I began doing some counseling. I began reading books and wanting to try to come to an understanding about, you know, why I responded to relationships the way I did, way, why I thought about the way I, I did about myself. And through that journey, I learned a lot. You know, I had lots of great support, uh, lots of good guidance, but I kept finding myself repeating the same patterns, falling into the same traps, kind of just going around that same mountain over and over again. And when I finally reached my mid-20s, uh, a few experiences uh, really started to open things up for me. And I was in a program and I was thinking a lot about recovery and what it meant for me and, and was just kind of reaching that point where enough was enough. I was really, I had drawn all sorts of connections. I had all sorts of amazing insights about the abuse, but I just was not getting to that next level. And through a conversation I was having with a friend who was, you know, to her credit, really trying to build me up and lift me up, to say, hey, you know what, you know, don't, don't struggle, don't worry about it, you're a survivor, you've made it through all of this, you've gotten so far. And I just kind of popped back and was like, you know what, I don't want to survive my life. I want to live it. I want to be free. I want to get past this. And the more I read, the more work I did, I just really thought nobody's really answering that question for me about, you know, what do I do about it? How do I actually really move from this place of surviving to what I've now come to coin as the third stage of recovery, beyond surviving. And uh, it was a, yeah, go ahead. I wanted to stop you there for just a minute because I think that's an extremely crucial point. Uh, many of us are proud to say, I'm a survivor, without ever realizing that it's not enough to be a survivor. I think you made a very outstanding point. Who wants to just be a survivor? Let's get beyond that. Let's live. I love mm -hmm. that. I heard that yeah. in one of the interviews earlier today, and that really struck me, and I wanted to ask you to elaborate on that. What does that saying that, what did that mean to you? What did that do for you? And what can yeah. that do for others? Well, the distinction for me is the difference between somebody who, as a survivor, is identifying themselves as someone who was abused, who is able to talk about the abuse and draw the relationships between their current experience and behaviors and the past, and are wanting to kind of consolidate the experience, come to understand it, come to grips with it, right? And it's an important stage. I don't think it's a stage that you skip, but I don't think it's, I also don't think it's the last stage. So when you've been in this place where you've been able to come to an understanding and you can speak about your story, you're no longer ashamed of it, but you're starting to notice, all right, even with all of that, I still, you know, struggle in relationships. I still think about myself negatively. I still, you know, think I'm worthless or I go around the same mountain when it comes to trusting people, right? I can't seem to cross over that bridge to real trust, real intimacy. I remain on the other side in kind of fear and confusion. And you're at that place where you're like no longer satisfied with just kind of managing the behaviors uh -huh. and coping, but you're really ready to set it aside, to let it go, and be, feel complete about it. The biggest distinction for me is it's kind of like uh, when you fall down and you scrape your knee and you get this scar 
And once it's healed, you can see the scar, but you don't feel the same pain as when you actually fell down and hurt yourself. And I really think the same thing can occur with past abuse, that you can know that you were abused. It's part of your story. It's part of your experience. But you're not constantly reliving it, feeling it, managing it. And that's beyond surviving. Very interesting. And so when did, when and how did that happen for you? Well, so, you know, I definitely reached that point where I thought, all right, I need to start pulling all this together. So I, in, you know, 2005, I started just reading everything I could read, but I really started thinking very specifically about the things that I had come to know that had made a difference for me. I started studying relationships, communication, and pooling and trying to consolidate all of this information into one complete package. And, you know, once I had done that for myself, I thought, I really want to share this with other people because over and over again I was talking with survivors who were, you know, craving that. They wanted to have that information of how to make that transition. So I ended up developing a 16-week program called Beyond Surviving that basically takes people from, first of all, understanding on a neurological level what happens as a result of trauma and how to basically rewire the brain so that you can start responding to situations in a different way, so breaking out of certain patterns of behavior, uh, and then really identifying the core kind of false beliefs that a person has and how to challenge those and how to let those go, and then develop you know, relationship understanding, uh, a new understanding about trust, intimacy, sex, your emotions. And um, so it took me a minute to, you know, really think about is this, you know, do I want my story out there? And I think this is something that survivors kind of circling back around to Jocelyn's initial question. You know, when you have a story that's as intimate and personal as one of abuse and you have to come to that place of thinking, all right, I know I'm putting myself on the line here. I know my story is going to be out there, and that means people in my family might be impacted, my friends, my partner, myself. Um, but really for me, the ultimate uh, decision came down to, is this really something I can keep to myself, or is it more important that people out there are getting the work and being set free? That's amazing. I, I really admire your courage to do that. I'm sure that that wasn't an easy decision for you, and it certainly isn't something that you can take back once it's out there. So I think that you're really brave to use your own story to, to reach the people that you want to help, because I, I know that it definitely makes a difference to have a life coach, I imagine, who has been through what your clients are going through. Yeah. And, you know, just on that part, on a social context, I, you know, I think that one of the reasons why I decided to share my story is that I also have, I guess, a bit of a, an agenda. You know, we, people will be on TV shows, will be on talk shows, and they'll talk about their five affairs they've had or the fact that they have AIDS or the fact that they were homeless or addicted to drugs or all of these, you know, different levels of sharing that you see out there today. But yet right. somehow there's still this idea that talking about sexual abuse is a big deal or it's somehow, you know. And so I also kind of want to start 
nudging at that la a little bit and questioning that and wondering, like, is part of the reason why abuse is still so prominent because we still consider it this, you know, kind of side topic that you have to be really brave or you have to be really courageous to speak up about. Oh, so you, you hit the nail mark. right on the head. This <laughs> is still the taboo subject, and that's why it is prevalent, because the abusers feel that they can continually get away with it because nobody's going to talk. You know, and, and then let's face it, the children are and women are automatically discounted right off the top. Who who believes them? Yep. You know, yeah. uh, I, I think very clearly that, uh, I mean, it has to be, it's all according to who you're ratting on. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I hear you on that. It, it really, yeah. it really depends on who you're ratting on. If you're ratting on some, uh, excuse my French, some some jackass, you know, from around the corner, some Joe schmo, you you might be believed. But try ratting on this uh, character that came from France who was going to run for president, and mm -hmm. uh, right away the girl will be discounted as nothing more than a, uh, you know, a, a, a prostitute. Or, uh, or somebody who's running for president of the United States. Uh, these are all, uh, you know, money diggers or whatever. So, it, you know, and children, well, then somebody put it in their heads. So this is still a very taboo subject where the victim is always re-victimized. And I wonder just how long that's going to go on unless we have more and more people like yourself who are willing to stand up and help us take the fight where it has to go. Yeah, that's right. And I think the other thing is it's important to that transition from survivor to beyond survivor is also important because we don't want people to just say, like, this is where I'm stuck and this is my mission. And we want to actually be able to show that there is, you know, life after this. You don't want to become entrenched because that can be just as dangerous and just as destructive to um, to the uh, you know to the social agenda of recovery and everybody who's out there trying to work to build this up and to basically give it a little bit of backbone and respect you know when you have people who are just stuck in their stuff for years and years and years and years so are you saying that uh, part of this is enabling people to get out of the rut and stop saying poor me and using it as a crutch to not move Ahead. That's right. And, you know, that's part of the reason, you know, my program, the reason why I say, you know, compassionate and challenging is because I basically am saying to my clients and to people who I work with in my course and my workshops, you can no longer use the abuse as your favorite excuse. Okay. I like that. Get out of things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because you And know, I certainly did that right. for a long time. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're right. It's a terrible thing that has happened to those of us who have been abused. But it's even more terrible when we re-abuse ourselves with it and not allow ourselves to move on. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we pick up the baton from the abuser. The abuser's long gone most of the time. They're either dead or they're in a, they've moved away or they've grown up. You know, they're... They're not even in your space anymore, but we continue to take on, you know, the either the things that they told us about ourselves or the yeah. things that we came to believe, and we live life reinforcing those. And so, 
you know, that's where I come in is to help basically put the brakes on that right. and turn the corner, go in a different direction. And that's a good thing that you're doing because I, I noticed that a lot of people do that, not because they're lazy and they want to, but many times it's because this abuse comes right out of their own family and their family has taught them, keep your mouth shut, you know? Yep, yeah, and, absolutely. You know, so, you know, it, it's very, very sad situation, extremely sad situation. What, what the uh, outside forces don't do to you if it happens in your family, your very own family, who you trust and should be able to depend on, you know, put the last nail in your coffin on top of it. So, mm -hmm. uh, so what you're doing is extremely important. And so how, uh, at, at this point, you made a decision then, what, back in 2005 to do this for yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I basically decided, all right, enough is enough. I really want the, the answers to, you know, how I moved past this stage of surviving. So I did some reading, I did some studying, and I started pulling together all of the, the lessons and all of the information that made a difference for me. And I just recently have finished pulling all of that into a book. So um, I have finished writing and I'm in the process of putting on final touches for publication and such beyond surviving the final stage of recovery from sexual abuse. And this is the guidebook that I use with my clients and in my courses. So basically there are 10 sections and each section has lessons that include readings and reflection and homework. Because the, the other key component of this is I did not want a program that was all about just thinking about processing, having great insights. I want my clients to actually get out there and do something. I want them to be in action in their lives. So when they begin to notice oh, this is the way, like we'll talk a little bit about integrity in a little while, you know, this is the way that I haven't been keeping my word, I haven't been following through. Great, let's figure out why that is, what's getting in the way, and as we clear that out, what are you going to commit to this week to go out and keep your word to, or keep your word about? So if they're really taking the lessons and the information and immediately putting it into practice in their lives, that, that piece was also very, very important to me. Right. Uh, well, yes. It's not enough to identify a problem. You have to find a solution. There you go. Well, that was my, my <laughs> next question was, it's, it's really interesting how you started to, to describe your approach. And I'm, I'm wondering, what, what's the emphasis on the past versus the future? It sounds like it's pretty future-oriented, but do you have to start with the past in order to get to the future? Right. Well, the, um, the past certainly informs the conversation. You know, but um, I, could have, I could have a client who is in their present day life experiencing something such as, I don't trust my boyfriend. I cannot, you know, keep my um, chatting with him every minute of the day. I don't give him any room. Anytime he's not with me, I feel nervous and anxious. And so we start to look at, you know, what are the underlying fears and concerns? And we can take that all the way back probably to a point of abuse, right, where trust and loyalty was initially broken and the ideas that got developed there. But the great thing about this is that even without that, they are able to um, work in the present and simply identifying the false beliefs that are driving the reason why the you know, trust isn't happening is enough. 
So uh-huh. what, what, what do you mean by false beliefs? I mean, so for instance, let's say that um, you're having trust and you start to think about, well, you know, what is your real fear or concern? Why you won't trust your boyfriend? And, you know, a client might say something like, well, I can't trust him because all men are, you know, cheaters. All men will hurt me. All men will take advantage of me, right? So the underlying idea, the underlying false belief there is, you know, men can't be trusted. It might even go a little bit deeper like that, like I'm not worthy of being loved. That actually might be the deeper-rooted belief that, therefore, if I can't be loved, why would this person be loyal to me? Therefore, I can't trust him. So when I work with clients, it's always about digging down and digging down to the lowest level, to the, the most basic layer of fear and concern, and finding that false belief and then challenging it. And we may discover that that false belief, I'm not lovable, comes from being abused, but we don't actually have to go all the way back to the abuse to handle the false belief. We can actually work right here in the present and then get the focus shifted towards the future of what they would like to create for themselves instead. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. Thank you so much. That's fascinating. Well, yes, that that really is. What uh, before we go on though, I'm very fascinated that you have this kind of insight. You are you working on your doctorate? Oh no, no, I uh, have a doctorate in life, I guess. In experience. I mean, you <laughs> in certainly hard do. But I mean, you've written a book. You've yeah. devised a a, a a a plan. You have a 16 week program. Why on earth don't you have a Ph.D. behind your name? I'm listening to you speak, and you are far more articulate on the subject than, you know, many Ph.D.s that I've heard speak. Thanks. I appreciate that. I, um, I suppose, you know, I, when I was doing my master's in counseling psychology, I was really considering, you know, what my next steps were going to be. and and weighing how I wanted to approach this work. And as I got into it a little bit more deeply, I really shifted my focus away from therapy and towards coaching for some of those reasons I've mentioned. You know, I'm much more interested in working with people who are just, you know, kind of stuck and they just need to be unstuck and brought to the next level as opposed to diagnosing and looking for disorders. And I also wanted to be able to engage them in a very personal way, being able to share my story, because I think it is um, wonderful to be able to talk about, yeah, you know, I used to be that girl who threw temper tantrums, you know, over here and got very angry and very upset, and, you know, I'm not that girl now. And being able to model that and represent that, I know I certainly needed that and was hoping for that in my journey to just be able to look at somebody and say, okay, this is what it might look like to actually be out of this, you know, and you can't do that as a therapist. And so when I finished my master's, I thought, okay, that's enough for now, and I'm going to focus on building my business. Okay, that answers my question, and it also uh, makes a great deal of sense, uh, and it kind of answers why you're so good at what you do. It's because you're really committed to this, Uh, and and that really answers my question. you're very committed to this, and I, I, I now totally understand why. Can you share your story with us? Sure, sure. Um, I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma, and when I was about five years old, I lived with my mom and my dad, and I had an older sister and brother, but they were much older. So, uh, 
when I was around five years old, my grandfather moved in with us. And when I, when I was 10, I was the only kid left in the house. And I often helped him. He was older. And so a lot of my time was spent, you know, taking care of him. We didn't have a very close relationship, but I certainly was caring and taking his cereal at night and help him out onto the porch when he wanted to sit. And uh, one day we were going out. I was holding the door for him to come out onto the porch, and he grabbed my arm and took me with him to the swing. And we were sitting there, and as, you know, a 10-year-old child, I'm thinking, oh, okay, I guess, you know, I'm going to hang out with my grandpa today, and we're just going to sit on swing and have a chat or whatever. But that was the first time he began molesting me. And this happened for quite some time and to various degrees of touching. And I, you know, there are times where I, there's sort of a memory, don't really fully get it, don't really remember if that's what happened. There are some things that are very clear and very specific. And just as a way of illustration, you know, the first time that that happened, I basically was paralyzed, didn't really understand it. I'm a 10-year-old girl. I'm just barely developing, have no idea really what sex is, have a gist of it, but no idea. All I knew was that I was scared. It didn't feel right. It was uncomfortable. And so I eventually pulled myself away from the swing, and I went running inside the house. And I went running back to my parents' bedroom, just kind of threw myself across their bed, and I was crying, sobbing. And I remember thinking, like, why doesn't anyone come and check on me? They're, they should be hearing me cry. Isn't that what parents do? Like, I'm crying. Somebody right. should be coming. And nobody did. And here's that moment where a false belief kind of gets born. It's like sometimes we identify very specific moments when we come to believe something. And in that moment, I started to believe that I was on my own, that I was by myself. And so jump ahead 20 years later, I'm doing the work around this. I'm noticing that this is a story that has been in the background through all of my teen years, all of my 20s, this I've got to do it on my own, I'm by myself, I can't depend on anyone, right? So when I started to look at the actual experience, I realized, man, my mom wasn't even home. How was she going to come and help me, right? But in the mind of the child, it's totally twisted. So you, I'm able to look at what happened, identify, oh, wait a minute, it's not that she wasn't there to help me. It wasn't that she heard me and she ignored me. It wasn't that I was on my own. It was that she was in another room. She wasn't home. My dad wasn't there. And that's what happened. So I don't have to be on my own. I don't have to do things all by myself. Thank you for tuning in and joining us today. Don't forget to visit www.rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and to explore the other resources available on the site. And please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We have so much more to share with you. Next time, I'll be giving you part two of my story, so please check in. Until then, take good care of you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.